Greetings, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of ATP, Ask the Pastor. I'm Pastor Joshua Sullivan here at Holy Cross Lutheran Church. Today's question, dear pastor, do we see Calvinistic doctrines in Luther's bondage of the will, and is it in perfect agreement with what the formula of Concord says on election? I know that we're not bound by Luther's personal writings, and only what Luther wrote that's contained in the book of Concord, but the Lutheran confessions reference the bondage of the will in a positive light in the Solid Declaration, Article 2, Paragraph 44. All right, I, I'm glad someone asked this question because this is one of those questions that, that this, it's a perennial question. Many modern Calvinists will tell you that they love Luther. And when they tell you that, what they mean is that they really love Luther's work entitled On the Bondage of the Will. The rest of what Luther wrote, they could care less about. The reason they love Bondage of the Will is because in that document, they see Luther teaching what would later come to be known as Calvinian double predestination, meaning that God from eternity elects some to salvation and elects others to damnation absolutely, meaning without regard to anything, for anything. They also like to point to Luther's 1537 letter to Wolfgang Capito, where he writes that he'd love to see all of his works devoured except perhaps the one on the bound will and the catechism. And the reason they like that letter is that they think it proves that this word on the bondage of the will should be Luther's final word on the topic of predestination. Some Calvinists will go as far then to argue that the formula of Concord and later Lutherans weren't even really Lutheran because they distanced themselves from Luther's statements in bondage of the will. So this is a fantastic question. Do the formula of Concord and the bondage of the will say the same thing, or did later Lutherans disagree with Luther and throw him under the bus? Now, fortunately for us, this accusation was already answered in the years following the formula of Concord in a document called the Apology of the Book of Concord. The Apology states on page 420 here, they accuse the Book of Concord of condemning Luther since Luther thinks it is highly necessary and useful for a Christian to know whether God's foreknowledge is certain or uncertain, confused or unconfused. Now, Luther had stated in Bondage of the Will that God foreknows all things not contingently, but necessarily and immutably. By this, he means that God foreknew from eternity uh, everything that will come to pass in time. Now, from our perspective, from the humor perspective, everything happens contingently, uh, by chance. But from God's point of view, he knows precisely what is going to happen. Because if he wills without knowing, or if he knows without willing, then God isn't eternal, uh, and he isn't unchanging. Now, when it comes to eternal election, Luther says that many are, quote, abandoned or hardened by that secret will of the divine majesty, end quote, and that the divine will, quote, purposely abandons and reprobates some to perish, end quote. Both of those are on page 246, Luther's Works in English, volume 33. What Luther is doing here is he's contrasting God hidden and God revealed. God incarnate, God revealed to us, uh, was sent into the world for this very purpose, Luther says, of willing, speaking, doing, suffering, and offering to all men everything necessary for salvation. So no limited atonement there. It was likewise part of this incarnate God to weep, wail, and groan over the perdition of the ungodly. For Luther, then, God reprobates many from eternity 
because God foreknows all things necessarily. The apology of the Augsburg, or excuse me, the apology of the Book of Concord, it answers this accusation that the Lutherans have condemned Luther's words by demonstrating, first of all, that Luther's words in on the bondage of the will, those weren't Luther's final words on eternal election. And also then, that bondage of the will needs to be read in light of Luther's later statements. So Luther said the following while lecturing on Genesis 26, 9, towards the end of his life. He writes, Accordingly, this is how I have taught in my book on the bondage of the will and elsewhere. Namely, that a distinction must be made when one deals with the knowledge, or rather with the subject of the divinity. For one must debate either about the hidden God or about the revealed God. With regard to God, insofar as he has not been revealed, there is no faith, no knowledge, and no understanding. And here one must hold to the statement that what is above us is none of our concern. For thoughts of this kind, which investigate something more sublime above or outside the revelation of God, are altogether devilish. With them, nothing more is achieved than that we plunge ourselves into destruction, for they present an object that is inscrutable, namely, the unrevealed God. Why not rather let God keep his decisions and mysteries in secret? We have no reason to exert ourselves so much that these decisions and mysteries be revealed to us. That's in Luther's works, volume 5, pages 43 and 44. Later on, then, he says, on page 50 of that same volume, I have wanted to teach and transmit this in, as, in such a painstaking and accurate way, because after my death, many will publish my books and, prove, and will prove from them errors of every kind and their own delusions. Among other things, however, I have written that everything is absolute and unavoidable. But at the same time, I have added that one must look at the revealed God, as we sing in the hymn, Jesus Christ is the Lord of hosts and there is no other God, and also in very many other places. But they will pass over all these places and take only those that deal with the hidden God. Accordingly, you who are listening to me now should remember that I have taught that one should not inquire into the predestination of the hidden God, but should be satisfied with what is revealed through the calling and through the ministry of the word. For then you can be sure about your faith and salvation and say, I believe in the Son of God who said in John 3:36, he who believes in the Son has eternal life. Hence, no condemnation or wrath rests on him, but he enjoys the good pleasure of God the Father. I have publicly stated these same things elsewhere in my books, and now I am also teaching them by word of mouth. Therefore, I am excused. This is precisely, then, what the formula of Concord does. It stays away from the discussion, any discussion, really, about what God has hidden for himself and focuses solely upon what God reveals in his word for the salvation of men's souls. The formula also confesses that God ordained in his eternal counsel to save those who receive Christ in true faith, but also to harden, reprobate, and condemn those who were called through the word if they reject the word and resist the Holy Spirit as he works through the word. That's in the formula, Solid Declaration, Article 11, Paragraph 40. God's will is that all hear and believe the gospel. But his will is also that those who do not believe the gospel be eternally condemned. That God is the one who gives faith, then, and converts men, so that those who are damned are those whom God did not give faith. That's simply the mystery of predestination. It's not revealed in Scripture, and therefore, we should not pry into it in any way, shape, or form. 
Instead, we must cling to what God reveals in his word about Christ. That is Luther's teaching in Bondage of the Will. Now, because the formula teaches that God wills to reject those who reject his son, those same formulators of Concord can write in the Apology of the Book of Concord these words. The Christian Book of Concord does not say that God does not reject some, and thus also does not contradict Luther's saying in his Bondage of the Will against Erasmus. That is the highest rung of faith to believe that God is most kind even though he saves so few. But it does not say that God is the efficient cause of this rejection or condemnation, which is the end result of our opponent's doctrine, i.e., the Calvinians. When it comes to this disputation, all people ought to first put their hands over their mouths and say with the Apostle Paul, they were broken off because of their unbelief, and the wages of sin is death. Calvinists, they read Luther's words that the divine will purposely abandons and reprobates some to perish, and they assume that Luther meant a reprobation that is absolute, that's, that is without regard to anything including sin. And when they do so, they neglect the scriptures themselves, and they also then neglect Luther's words that one must look to the revealed God. They also then ignore Luther's explanatory statements in his Genesis lectures and elsewhere. So, yeah, the formula of Concord is in agreement with Luther's bondage of the will, according to Luther's own explanation of it. Luther wasn't a proto-Calvinist, uh, and nor did later Lutherans condemn Luther's own explanation of predestination. Uh, Luther, rather, rather the formulators, later Lutherans, flesh it out further in light of what God had revealed in Scripture, so the predestination always remains a comforting doctrine, not a teaching which makes God the author of sin or the efficient cause of anyone's damnation. Thanks for the question. We'll see you next time on Ask the Pastor.